Hi, ladies and gentlemen, lovely listeners. I'm Caleb Lamte, your host for the Young and Old podcast. In this podcast, I interview some of Africa's top achievers across various disciplines all over the world. They share their habits, values, and principles that have brought them this far. Stay tuned and enjoy the conversation. In this episode, we have Ibrahim Mama as our guest. Ibrahim is a Ghanaian author and an artist of monumental installations. Ibrahim has participated in exhibitions and giving lectures in different parts of the world. Not only has he made a name for himself, he has built a museum in the northern part of Ghana, specifically Tamale, where he resides. The museum, known as the Savannah Center for Contemporary Arts, where the community has access to the space to not only work or learn, but imagine as well. Ibrahim's mantra is be good. You can follow him on Facebook and Instagram at SCCA Tamale or Ibrahim Mama on Facebook and Ibrahim Mama 3 on Instagram. Okay, so I, I I noticed you are always on your work. I mean, you don't joke with your works. So let's let's remind ourselves what has been a funny time you've had doing your work before. Oh, <laughs> as for my work, the fun times are always there. It's um, I enjoy doing it. So um, and plus I move around a lot. I travel quite a lot, quite significantly. So I. Yeah, there's a lot of fun within that. You meet many people, new people all the time. Um, yeah, there are decisions that you get to make that you hardly ever get to make them ordinarily. Uh, but because of the position that you find yourself in as an artist, you're able to do like, some of these things. So it's fun. Sometimes it's not fun, fun as people think fun is. It can be a bit bitter because when you're traveling, it also comes with restraints and uh, yeah. visa issues and like going through customs and being asked stupid questions but later on <laughs> when you sit down with like recently when i went to italy for instance for a research project when i got to the airport my mom had made this jollof rice for me because i knew that probably because i did corona tests before going and the people had told me that probably when i arrived they'll let me go into quarantine for some days so i told my mom Charlie. When I get there and then I'm in quarantine, I can use that to uh, <laughs> myself. And then yeah. I get to this place and then the custom opens my bag and they are taking everything out and then they take the jollof rice. And I say, I put the jollof back inside. The <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed. I was like, you can take my clothes away, but don't fuck with my jollof rice. <laughs> <laughs> So one of those things, yeah. So uh, when it, it, the process of doing in between work and then the kind of things you encounter, those are the things that it, sometimes they are very bitter and sad in the way that it characterizes the world in a certain way. But later on, when you are just sitting alone, you laugh. And for me, that's what I enjoy. Yeah, sharing these kinds of stories with people of how maybe if, it's, if they see a painting or a sculpture, the story behind it, how that came about. All right, all right, yes, that's right. But did you get a jello back? 
Oh yeah, of course. I was like, hey, Charlie, if you don't give me this job, <laughs> another pandemic will break loose here. <laughs> Maybe if it was Nigerian Jolov, I would have said, okay, you fine, you take it. You've saved me. I was like, hey, Master, Master, don't joke with my Jolov price. <laughs> okay, so we want to um, ask about your childhood. I mean, growing up, how was your situation, your background, to so maybe the point of university after university. How was it between those times? Yeah. Well, it was when I was growing up, the interesting thing about my growing up is that I spent most of it in boarding school. So I was born in Tamale, 1987. And then in 89, oh yeah, 89, we moved to Accra, my mother and my immediate family since yeah my father has four wives you know like northern ghana so um uh, we, we, uh and a couple of kids uh, a lot of kids actually <laughs> so we um we 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 moved to accra to settle there uh and yeah i was sent to different schools uh kindergarten and crutch but I was going to like primary school. I went, I first went to Prince Boatin in Sawam. I don't know if you know there. No, I'm not yeah, sure. Prince Boatin Memorial School. Yeah, it's in, in Sawam on the main road. When the, when the, when STC VIP and all the cars used to go through in Sawam Township, you'll see it by the roadside. So that's okay. where I was with my siblings. I was there for a, a short while, but my siblings were there a bit longer. Then after that, I, was taken to St. John's Preparatory. So, uh, St. John's in Achimota. So that's where I was for six years, from class one to six. And then from there, I went to a, a JSS called Star Avenue, which was a day school. And um, from there, I went to Pope John Senior High. And then before I spent the rest of my time in uh, tech, doing my undergrad, master's, and then currently finishing up the PhD. So um, the boarding school system really shaped my thinking because I was I didn't really like being in a boarding school honestly. So I used to draw quite a lot because it's I, I found refuge in it and it made me quite happy. So um, it was through that that I guess I developed the interest for art. And when it was time to go to uh, secondary school, choosing visual arts. My family was quite certain that maybe doing visual arts would have been good because you know it's weird. Like when during exams, mathematics and all those things, sometimes I'll stop writing the exams and then I'll be drawing at the back of the exam paper because me now I know that Charlie the exam ambition is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so those those things, yeah, you know. So I, I the, the love for art came through my childhood. And those days, it was interesting because when my family, when we were going for excursion, like school excursion, and they gave me money to eat, I would always use it to buy something like a craft thing, like a, a small uh, statue, miniature, like, or like a, a shell, or like, I love those things. I liked when people, they, when people did things with their hands, I was always fascinated with it. I guess my family noticed that, and then they were really quite supportive. 
the worst thing is to want to do anything and your family is not supportive of it. You know how Ghana is. Like me, when I show quite visuals, now visuals only you got your what you call it, brother, brother, and your visuals. But if you have a supportive, um, I'm telling you, there is the sky is not even the limits. There's so much. There's the universe to explore, and that's the luck that I had with my childhood. Yes. Yeah, so um, you mentioned your your writing sometimes masters, and you weren't, I mean, seeing top or finding it easy. Is that the case? Is it one of the reasons why you did art, or you just loved art? So those other courses or subjects weren't really a major focus. Well, I I liked them because in Pope John, I did elective maths on the side. I studied a bit of economics, but my main electives were general arts, uh, general knowledge in arts, picture making, and sculpture. So later, when I went to university, I majored in painting and sculpture. Because I wanted to be an artist, and uh, doing one of these, doing this course was one of the sure ways of like doing art and practicing as an artist within the art world as we know it. Um, mathematics, biology, and others. I don't know. Maybe my my love. I was so much obsessed with art that I never really paid attention to these other courses. But now in my adult life, being an artist and working professionally. I work more with these figures, with these subjects, mathematics, physics, and all that, because my work involves a lot of histories, <clears throat> and I I use I constantly go back to these various subjects in order to be able to get inspiration for my work. So sometimes, maybe at a younger stage, there are some subjects that you might not be drawn to, but later in life, when you find yourself in a profession and you are willing to open up yourself to new ideas and explore. You might have to go back to these subjects in order to get um, inspirations, and that's what I I I am doing at. All right. So, um, going in, why contemporary arts? Um, why not any other arts? Um, why did you choose contemporary arts? Well, contemporary arts is very simple. You know, in in the history of art, contemporary arts is one of the art forms like era. Contemporary art is not something. It's, it just marks an era and an attitude in art. The way that people practice art, the way people see the world, the way people see the art works they produce, the, the, the art, the role of that art work in the world itself. So for me, that is uh, the interesting thing about contemporary art. If you are living now in, in, in today's age, you can't do any other thing aside from contemporary art. You can't practice modern art. Modern art was an era and lasted predominantly in the 20th century, like from the early 20th century to like uh, 19, maybe 1970. So uh, sometimes people say, that, oh, me, I'm, I'm a modern artist. No, that's, uh, it's just, it, it's not, it's just not an English term that you play around with like that. Contemporary art is an attitude. Like when artists started producing work that somehow dealt more with the politics that was within the world. So not just producing an artwork that just goes to hang on the wall of a museum or in a house of an aristocrat, but you consider the political underpinnings, how the painting you are making, what constitutes the painting, the, the, the characteristics, uh, the conditions under which it's made, uh, who is going to see it, what space is it going to be shown in, uh, uh, how does the object uh, differ from objects like that which were made in the past? What political positions does it take? 
blah, blah, blah. That is contemporary art is an attitude. It's not just someone will say that, oh, contemporary, uh, uh, oh, this guy, this boy and I, we are contemporary, so we're making contemporary art. No, someone <laughs> might be, a lot of people are living now, they make work which is not contemporary art, but it's the attitude that they make the work with that makes it contemporary or not. Uh-huh. So sometimes when, that's why you see that there are many artists in the world but there are very few that are, that are that are recognized as contemporary artists or work seriously within the art world as we know it. Of course, there are many problems to that system, but at least the fundamental thing is that we have to differentiate between the attitudes that goes into different production systems or different like different eras in terms of making of work. Yeah, so um, what's the error around modern arts? Why do you believe that shouldn't even be in existence since it's an error? Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's not the, that it shouldn't be in existence. So, for instance, when you go to New York, they have the Museum of Modern Art. When you go to San Francisco, they have the Museum of Modern Art. When you go to uh, the UK, they have a Tate London. Um, when you go to uh, Germany, they have the Han- Hamburger Bahnhof. Like every country that you go to, there is like a Museum of Modern Art. And that museum characterizes work that was produced in mostly the 20th century, the attitude of work, blah, blah, blah. And it's because of the history of art, because uh, when uh, in the 19th century and before, art was produced in a very different form. And mostly the uh, mostly aristocrats, the kids of aristocrats, and also artists that the academy or aristocrats considered that they were great artists, were the ones who had audience in terms of works that were being produced. Uh, so for instance, if you're an artist and then you make a certain kind of work that the king likes, and you are better considered more of an artist than maybe someone who is experimenting with color and just playing with forms around and all that. And that's what modern art brought about. Modern art radicalized art. So uh, a lot of the early modernist uh, guys who paved way for it, like Gustave Kobe, um, uh, Edward Monet and all that, they were beginning to deviate from even subject matter, the way that uh, human beings were portrayed in paintings, parts of the body that were not portrayed, let's say, in the work, in the academy period, which the aristocrats were ruling in. And before that, you also had art, which was happening in the Renaissance and before in the Age of Enlightenment, uh, which uh, also had a different character in its own. So modern art came to, modern art with with the inception and the birth of the white cube, which is the museum, which somehow cuts away the rest of the world from the artwork. So when a museum is built and you go inside, there are no windows or anything. So you when you go to look at a work of art you concentrate just on the work you forget about the world outside uh-huh. so if the work is about a massacre of let's say uh, ndc or mpp supporters you shouldn't judge the work based on the original massacre that's what that was one of the significant characteristics of modern art so museums were built in order to contain that character so that's why you have those kinds of museums in europe and later on, in this, uh, later on, artists like during the uh, like the artists like minimalism, pop art, and all that, they realize ah, but you can't just say that the painting is innocent by itself or the sculpture is innocent. There are so many things that characterize it. So why can't we extend the 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 the, the political 
meaning of the painting into other objects and into the world. So they start introducing things that no one would normally characterize as art, like uh, cartons, card boxes, uh, posters, and all those things into art. So it begins to stretch what art is and what it represents. And you have other artists going out to like fields and let's say planting crops, uh, using excavators to move land. And there's, a, there's an artist, Robert Smithson, uh, making, uh, taking rocks and pouring them into lakes and creating spaces that normally you would experience that maybe within the modern art, it's literally impossible to be able to, to experience. So contemporary art begins to find a new voice and also institutional critique. Uh, artists begin to criticize like the role that the museum plays, like the, the kind of works that it allows to be made. Artists, so for instance, if you are not a male white artist, you are not really considered as an artist. So a lot of things came up as about it. So contemporary art was almost like a, a new birth of attitude of making work with using the real conditions that were in the world and also of finding alternative spaces of showing work that somehow changed the way men, like works were made within the modernist era. Yeah. So if an artist makes a work now, even with the same like technique that was being used to make work, let's say in a hundred years ago, or let's say 70 years ago when modern art was flourishing, that work is not a modernist work. Modernist work characterizes a certain moment in history when these things happen. So it's not just that you've produced the work right now and it looks like a modern art, so it's modern art. No. You live in a time, contemporary art, and this is the time when you can make work that has a certain attitude. Even if you make work with the attitude of modern art, it's still not modern art. And that is the difference that people find very hard to understand or they, they find it hard to grapple with. Okay, so are there um, um, contemporary arts museums like the modern art museums, are there any? Yes, there are plenty, there are plenty. Some of these museums that I'm mentioning, they are modern art museums, but they also champion contemporary art because what contemporary art does is that it allows artists are producing work now using let's say ideas that existed before within the modernist era, but in a very refreshed way that now you be, when you somehow install it or show it within a modern art museum, it, it gives you a different reading of history. So that's the interesting thing about, uh, about uh, the modern art museums. So, but there are also museums in the world which are just built for contemporary art. So for instance, when I built the Savannah Center in Tamale, I named it the Savannah Center for Contemporary Art because I wanted the attitude of contemporary art to be the basis. When those museums were built back then, they were built museums of modern art because they knew that they were in the modern art period. Of course, now uh, some museums are also built now, even now, and they, they dedicate them to museums of modern art because the country or the individuals who build them are specifically looking for collections that come from the modern art period. So they are building a museum for that period, works coming from that period. And they build those museums every day, you know? So they are, they, 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 it's, it's, it's a very, very important uh, distinction to make. But it doesn't mean both of them cannot be in the same space. They are in the same space all the time. All right, so you mentioned collections. Uh, is, can contemporary acts be 
collected? Because like modern arts, you can get a piece and fix it in your home or something. Is it the same with contemporary art? Yes, it's the same. There's no difference. It says that uh, a lot of modern arts <clears throat> were works that were uh, wall-based. Yeah, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it was, um, uh, I lost my thoughts. Uh, the modern, yeah. What question was it again? So I was saying um, contemporary modern arts, you, you said are mostly like world arts that can be collected, hanged mm, on walls yes. and stuff. And is it the same with um, contemporary arts? Well, there are a lot of artists who make work which are wall-based, like paintings and all that, even sometimes reliefs, sculptures. <clears throat> but with modern arts, of course, a lot of private individuals, they made it flourish because they patronized the artists, they supported their work, experimentations and all that. There are also patrons within contemporary arts who support artists' works and all that, uh, experimentations and all kinds of things. But most works in modern art, like the paintings and all that, were objects that people could buy and hang in their homes. With modern, with contemporary art, it's a bit complex. Sometimes they are paintings, but they are not things that, maybe the, the technique under which the painting is being made, it doesn't really allow for someone to hang it in his house. Maybe it allows more for a museum to be able to collect it. So mostly with contemporary art, uh, museums collect those kinds of works. Yeah, but there is also uh, a lot of modern art is also in museums because uh, most of those works are very expensive and you can't really buy them now. OK, so with this situation, don't you think it affects um, people's um, drive like individuals to get involved in contemporary arts, knowing that it can't be closer to them, like getting it. So I was saying that with the way contemporary art is, isn't that a reason for individuals who are not maybe artists not to get involved that much, knowing that they can't get it closer to them, like in their homes or office or something like that? Doesn't it reduce their drive to get involved in, in contemporary arts? No, 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 not at all. Some people just support contemporary arts. Actually, a lot of patrons collect works in order to be gifted to museums or they they build museums and they buy those works to be within those museums so that people the general public can come and see those works and that's why i built those institutions in tamale like uh, contemporary arts institutions so that the works that we are producing which ordinarily would be bought by museums and shown around the world we can also have museums here which can show those works so that at least our children can be able to witness these works it's better that they are able to witness them and be able to like form opinions about it within the time when they are being made, rather than when they they are being bought and taken elsewhere and then books are written about it and it comes back to us. And it's almost, it's just like going back into like the 20th century and before when uh, Africa was being exploited. I think that we have to stop or prevent that within our time. So our attitude needs to change towards the way we produce works the kind of works that we produce and how those works are being shown. And we as artists have a responsibility to play, particularly in those uh, cases. Yes.
Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about the um, Savannah Center for Contemporary Arts and the Red Clay Studios in a later time. But before that, um, how did you get your first job? I mean, student an art student coming out of school. How did that happen? Oh, me, I never worked for anyone, honestly. When I left art school, I went straight to practicing as an artist. I never saw myself working for anyone. I was studying to become an artist. So when I had the opportunity back then when I was in school and the, um, the group of uh, uh, curators came to our university and they saw some of the works I was producing and they made recommendations to institutions and I traveled and I saw those, I saw different kinds of works done by different artists. But I was really inspired. So I told myself, this is what I really want to do. And uh, when the opportunity, when the, when, the, when the first opportunity came for me to be able to show my work in a museum, I really tried and did my best with it. So, and because of the way it was seen, it really opened up all the doors that's currently. And I, the, the, first, the very first money I earned from my work as an artist, that was what I used actually in, um, that's what I used actually in um, starting the Savannah Center. Uh, so for me, it was always very important to be able to think about the the, the, the production, like um, the, the work that we want to be able to make and show to the rest of the world, and also the spaces around us. Like I always knew that I wanted to create a space that would give a different sense of uh, opportunity to the generation around me in terms of how they see art or how they experience it. So those were very important. Yeah, so how did you get that exhibition? How did you get in? The first one. Oh, I was, it was through a recommendation. Yeah, it was, I did a project at KNUST, one of uh, my master's program, and there were some curators from some museum in the UK, and they saw it, and then they recommended me to, like, uh, this residency in London, which I went for. But prior to that, there was a friend of mine who was working with a museum also there who had sent some images of my work to the museum. And they were very interested in me contributing to a show, a big show they were doing at the time. And yeah, I showed my work in that exhibition and that was it. Everything else is history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and your first money went into um, SCCA. Was, was that a difficult decision to make? I mean, your first money you can enjoy yourself going straight into building something for people. As a, as a younger age, I mean, that was so nice. But what, what, what made, helped you make that decision? Well, as I was talking about the contemporary arts, the attitude of contemporary arts, because for me, uh, studying at KNUST was very good because we had very brilliant lecturers who were not teaching artists just to make art, but to be able to think about the role and responsibility they have to play in the art that they are making. So for instance, you are not just making a painting for the painting to be bought by a rich man to be shown at his house. What about all the other people around who you take inspiration from to make the painting? Don't they deserve to somehow enjoy those paintings? So uh, there, there are a lot of questions that come into being. 
like infrastructure, institutional building, blah, 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 in within the work itself that you're producing. So I always knew that I wanted to build an institution when I was in uni, like undergrad. So when the time came in 2014, when I earned the first money for my work, I decided to put all the money into the work. So I did that right away. Wow. This, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not difficult. It's not easy to make such a decision, but that um, shows the quality or the kind of artist you are. And I appreciate you for that. So, um, oh, no, it's, it's not easy, but it's important for us to do that because within our generation, what we have to realize is that we have to make, diff we have to produce work that makes different contributions to our present circumstances rather than what we inherited. A lot of artists just want the world to be what it is so that they can capitalize on it in order to be able to. So we have to change the world. So if you're an artist and you want to be able, you want the world to be able to stay the way it is in order for you to be able to make your work, then it's not good enough. I think you have to create another world and create another kind, which will allow you to create a different kind of art for it. So for instance, knowing that these institutions in Tamale exist, it gives me a different reason to make different kinds of works, knowing that those works will eventually go in those museums for the children who are growing up to be able to experience art very differently rather than what I experienced as a child growing up because we never had those museums when we were children growing up. So that is the attitude that comes with being uh, embracing contemporary art. Of course, it can sometimes people get corrupted along the way, but the most important thing is to be able to renew your spirit and your interest within the arts as you go on. Sure. So um, I found out two um, popular or uh, common materials you use for your installations are the jute sack and the Coblex box, that is the Ghana shoe shine box. Why these two materials? Um, well, I've used a lot of materials for my work. Those are just maybe two images that keep popping up, but I've used a lot of different materials. I mostly use wood in my work. I do a lot of drawings, but I've never really shown those drawings. And I do a lot of photography and also film. And also like um, I've collected things like airplanes. I have six airplanes in Tamale where I bought them in Accra and transported them from the airport all the way to Tamale. Um, I have tried collecting old trains from the railways, uh, still not successful, still working on that. I've collected machine parts, uh, uh, from weighing scales to, um, spin machines to, um, crotches. Like I've collected a lot of different materials to produce work over the years. So, um, the jute sacks was the early part of my work because it gave me a different attitude a different way of looking at the world because you know the jute sacks are brought in ghana for transportation of cocoa uh, and the cocoa mostly is put into these bags and then they are taken to the harbor and then they are poured into shipping containers which go and then the bags remain and the bags are then now sold to like the middlemen who then now sell it to the market traders who use to bag rice maize millet and a lot of other other commodities. So that is what there is. Uh -huh. So for me, I'm interested in what becomes of the material after 
it is being used to transport like cocoa. So the nuances that happen within that, like uh, when charcoal enters it and it's no longer can contain any other thing and it's black, like and tattered, uh, how do you work with that material? Which kind of people can come into it to produce? So that's why I started working with the Kaiis to sew these materials together. But first, I would buy new ones and give it to the old uh, the market traders, that's the charcoal sellers, and take the old one. And based on the old one, I would then now sew it together with the charcoal sellers and then the kaiis. And then we will find buildings and then wrap these buildings with this. So there was a dialogue between the process of making it and also the history of these spaces, which uh, somehow maybe within a modernist, within a modern art era, it would have been impossible to think about as a production system for art. So that's one of the many gifts of contemporary art. And uh, it's also the work also became a gift to this community because when the work is shown and you are seeing it, like when it's shown, for instance, when I wrap the National Theatre, people would just ordinarily see it in a car or when they are walking. Yeah, so people had different attitudes and different comments. Like people will be sitting in a car and they'll see it and they'll start talking among themselves. Ah, Nadia, and art is also always not to generate positive views. Sometimes art, art generates negative views. And that's what artists have to learn to accept. Some artists think that, oh, when you do every work, people have to say that, oh, why are they work with effort? No, it's not every work that effort. Sometimes some artists make works that are purely provocative and they are just, they, they, they don't provoke good comments, yeah, or good feelings. And that is the power of art. So for me, I, I would work with any material once I know the provocation that comes with that material. And maybe it's a material that we are all familiar with, but because it has not been presented within the context of art or in a certain form of multitude, you don't really think about it within that form. So that is what I try to do. All right. So for um, things or, I mean, materials like airplanes, trains, how do you get them? And what are some of the things you plan using them for or you have used them for? Uh, well, you, yeah, I, I, I negotiated with uh, private owners, people who are who owned these airplanes some years before. Uh, um, I collected them, uh, brought them, uh, we took them apart in Accra uh, with the help of engineers. And then we put them on trucks and we drove them from Accra with the help of police, with police escorts from Accra all the way to Tamale over a two year period. And um, now that we've assembled all of it back together again, their plan is to use the inside for classrooms, for kids to be able to use as classrooms. So we, we, we're we working on the cooling systems and other things like installing TV sets in it, like installing, let's say PlayStation 4 or 5 in it. So it gives a very different attitude. So we're even doing, I used a lot of drone in my work. So we even use like the drone. We teach some of the kids the drone tech using the cockpits of the airplane or the so it creates a different kind of thinking. For me, it's what these machines represent and how they can instigate new imaginations among a younger generation. The for me, it's just the idea of possibility. What is possible when a generation decides to maybe combine certain forms which people didn't think about? And the possibility that emerges from it is what I think is promising. Uh, for 
um, using airplanes as classrooms and stuff, I think it, it really builds, I mean, helps people imagine more. As you said, it creates more of the possibility for young people to have understanding that people even, let's say, in the North, feel they might not get these opportunities. I have spoken to friends where they've, they've, they've mentioned that the reason for them doing a certain program in university is that they don't see themselves finding a way with the talent they have, the gifts they have. And that is why I think the, what, the, what we are doing, I mean, with um, creating imaginations and stuff is good for um, young people around. And I'm sure if some of them should have this as young as they are, maybe before even getting to their 18 and stuff, it will open them up more. And as you said, they might or they will be able to do um, bigger and greater things. And thank you so much for um, considering young people in that field. So how many exhibitions have you participated in? Um, oh, that I can't count. There have been so many. There have been hundreds of shows. There are some of them that I don't even know. Like, I, yeah, I guess it's just, um, yeah, a lot of shows that I've done over the last couple of years. I can't really count them. Um, I guess some of them are solo shows, some of them are group shows. Some of them, uh, they are shows that maybe a, a, a collection or a certain like group of people or museum have your work and they loan it to another museum for an exhibition. So it's not every exhibition that my work happens in that I know about. But the ones which I do know about, which are like special commissions, I spend a lot of time to make new work for it. Because sometimes a museum will contact you and say, we want you to do an exhibition in our space but we want you to do a very new work, a work that you've never done before. So um, you you produce an entirely new body of work. And sometimes also they want a work that already exists. So you just ship that work to them and then that is it. So it depends. All right, so how do you get to do your installations at some of these exhibitions? How do you get access to those opportunities? Ah, well, I guess it's um, sometimes it's through your gallery or someone say agents. So um, we have different kinds of uh, different kinds of galleries in the world. Some galleries are just there to sell works by artists. They are more like showrooms. Some galleries are also there to make sure that their artists grow and they get the right opportunities. Because um, as an artist, the more your work is being shown in museums or written about in publications and all that, that's when your work becomes more valuable, not in terms of money, but in terms of people wanting to hear and see more about your work. Maybe an artist talking more about this work, giving lectures, sharing ideas. Me, I, I mostly like sharing ideas regarding around the works, the work that I produce and what goes into it. So people are always curious to know what you are thinking or what you're doing. And um, yeah, so sometimes you might give a certain lecture and then someone, you post it online and someone hears it and contacts you like a museum and says, oh, we heard you talking about this then. Is it possible to come to our museum and do this work or do this lecture based on this? And it's not always based on just exhibitions. Sometimes they are based on lectures or other things. So we artists have to open themselves up to all those things. Yes, yeah, so you mentioned um, negative views being generated from arts 
and artists not opening up to some of these views. What what is the blockade for this mindset or this challenge with artists not accepting negative views? Well, I guess it's just comfort. A lot of artists are comfortable. So why would I want people to pass negative comments or views about the work that I produce? Yeah, because sometimes it mostly is not popular because sometimes when they are negative, people feel that it somehow diminishes their work or reduces the value of it. But sometimes these negative comments even allows us to see things in the work that no one has has paid attention to. So for me, I think those negative comments are definitely important. It allows even you, the artist, to be more aware of what you are doing and things that maybe you never considered, you can begin to consider them. Sure, definitely. So what, what has been your most difficult maybe lecture installation you've done in your career so far? Oh, well, I guess it's a series of things. Um, I, uh, on top of my head, well, I most of the works are difficult to produce because of the scale at which I work. So sometimes you go to a country to do a project and based on that project, um, the, the way the work has to be installed, it requires a certain system or there are certain laws that prevent you from, let's say, uh, doing um, uh, maybe, I don't know, like maybe uh, in uh, Ghana, you know, you can maybe just, anyone can stand on a scaffold and do something. But in some countries, in order to be able to go on a scaffold or a ladder, even you need a certificate. It can be frustrating. So the rules and regulations in different places also determine how your work is being installed. Yeah. Like there, there was a recent work which was done in the US. And um, the, um, the, the, it took a long time to get the permission because uh, the, the curator and the museum had to get like permits from the city. They, they had to get an engineer to design the work, the system, blah, blah, blah. And all, they all need approval. So just as an architect would design a system or a building or an artist's work, which becomes public, also goes through that same system. And mostly it can get denied. Yeah, they can say no. So if the, the work is supposed to happen, let's say on the 1st of December, maybe it might end up happening on the 5th of uh, March or something, because sometimes there are delays in it. So um, that is always that always comes with the work. If you want to make work that is compelling, you always have to be ready to face these challenges. Okay, so um, before you got to, let's say, realize that maybe the way of art could be your own way, what was your dream job at that time before finding arts? No, I never, I always wanted to be an artist, honestly, when I, when I, when I from, uh, from secondary school, I knew that I wanted to be an artist and I didn't want to do anything else. I would do maybe drawings and portraits for people, but I never ever honestly wanted to do any other thing. Maybe when I was a child, I wanted to either be a pilot or an architect. And of course now, maybe my work involves some kind of architecture and also I'm working with, let's say, airplanes or machines and all that. But 
I always knew I wanted to be an artist first and foremost. So everything that I did led me to this point. Yeah. So, uh, so for some situations, what are, do you recall some of the situations that nearly led you to giving up on a dream, on the vision of being an artist, being a light, I mean, to people from afar? Um, no, really. Like me, everything that happens in my life, I just take it and I go along. Like I don't, I'm not an aggressive person. So I also am very, I take the world very easy. So when something happens, I just take it as it is and I take time to think around it. And then I see, okay, what direction can I take this in? If it's very bad in a negative way, how can I resolve it? And then based on that, the process of resolving it, what have I learned and what direction, what new direction can I go in? So I, I've learned quite a lot. I know in the questions you asked about the single case, and that was one of those moments in my practice as an artist when it was almost impossible because I was very young and it was an artist, it could have destroyed an artist, but I just took it very easy. Like I didn't let anything around that distract me. And I just said to myself that I have an entire life and a career ahead of me in terms of an artist. Let me just focus on that, that and this will deal with itself. So just going through the process and everything. And eventually it was resolved and I continued making work. A lot of artists, if they had gone through what I went through as an artist at that stage, they would, their careers would have been destroyed forever. But I guess it's also when you know exactly what you want and what you're doing, nothing really distracts you. Yeah, so you, you've mentioned the same Chris case, even though I wasn't yet there. But what was the issue surrounding that case? Because um, yeah, I, I Google, there were lots of, a lot of readouts on it, a lot of articles on it. What was the cause? What was the issue around that? Oh, it was just based on the idea that someone buys a work of art and he's trying to alter the form of the work. So, for instance, someone buys your painting and then goes to separate the painting into five different parts and then wants to sell them as individual parts. That's what the whole thing was based on. So as an artist, you say that, oh, my work is not based on that. It's either you sell it in one form or you return yeah, or you get yeah, something like that. You return the work and then maybe in exchange for something else. So that was what the whole thing was about, about protecting the integrity and the form of the work. Yeah. So it meant that if I had to go through lawsuits or whatever in order to get that done, why not? Okay, so does it mean um, when someone or when an artist is selling a work or an agent is selling a work for an artist, the artist is the one who decides how the work should be sold, in what form and ways that should be. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I, I didn't know that too. I'm just fine now. Yeah, the artist always has the final say with regards to the form that his work takes. Even when you produce works for museums, sometimes they come with instructions, like how the work can be shown, how the work cannot be shown, uh, if there are certain conditions under which the work has to be shown, it requires a certain light. At all times, those question, conditions have to prevail. There are a lot of things. Yeah, so there, there's there's a lot to consider. All right. So you mentioned um, in one of your interviews, uh, probably like three years ago, 
that doing a work singularly is better than doing a collaboration that depends on others. And I don't know, maybe that statement came as a result of uh, the Stefan case or whatever, but what's your view now on doing works collaborative um, solo? What's, what do you prefer? Oh, me, I've always done works in collaboration with others. Um, I guess, I don't know under what circumstances I said that, I can't remember. But me, I've always been interested in collaborative work. But in terms of me producing my work as an artist, I mostly like to work alone because it allows me to think. Um, but I work with many people in order to realize that. So what I do as an artist is that I sit down to conceive of ideas. And then based on that ideas, I bring many people together to work on those ideas in order to achieve something much bigger than myself. Um, and that process, I mostly don't share with anyone. Like I just, I, you need time to think as an artist. So you can't, no one can give you that. Yeah. Um, so that is very important. Um, yeah, like that is basically about it. I guess. All right, so what are some of the things you've learned in the course of your work that you never got to know in school, or maybe even those in school might never get to know? What are some of the things or lessons you've learned in that space? Oh, well, that's um, when you are working as an artist, you learn on the job. There are many things that come along the way that you wouldn't find in textbooks. And uh, those things will shape you to becoming the artist that you will be in the future. So me, I try as much as possible just to learn from that. Um, sometimes it comes in a form of skills, techniques, uh, attitude, like people that you meet and being able to read good people from bad people or people who are going to help your practice grow or people who are not going to help your practice grow, things like that. So those things you learn as you go along and also Maybe you produce some works and then you show them in some spaces and then you realize that, oh, in this space, it works. This space, it doesn't work. All those things are very important, so. Okay. So for um, other visual artists coming up, um, what would you advise them to look out for as they get involved in their work? For some, they are out of school, so they are um, focusing only on that, what would you advise them to look out for, to watch in improving their works, in getting to the right places, meeting the right people? What would be the advice for them, visual artists? Oh, well, they have to be patient and they also have to learn. YouTube is there to use as a guiding tool. Like, there's a lot of good materials there in terms of learning about contemporary art like uh, watching, uh, following art news, artist works. I think the danger is that most people, because of the internet, the world is moving so fast. When people are looking for information, they're always looking for information that suits what they already want. So for instance, they, they just want to be able to know what it takes to be successful, to sell your work for a certain amount of money. But it's not all about that. Sometimes there are a lot of artists, great artists in the world, who don't make so much money from their work, but their work is like the most interesting and the most valuable outside 
the the market system so those things also matter quite a lot so uh, young people need to spend time knowing those artists and why they do the work they do and the contributions their work also brings to the arts world because without most of those artists even a lot of young artists will not have the freedom to be able to work the way that they work or to be able to make some kinds of work so they they need time and patience yeah people are too much in a hurry to make money or to make it in life but sometimes you just need time yeah and perseverance also yes uh, can you mention any of the artists that um, their works are valuable to people, but they are not necessarily rich oh, or oh. not rich, like millionaires or billionaires in that sense? Mm -hmm. Well, there are many artists, I can't mention all their names, but the female artists, there are, two artists, there are three artists, Hito Sterl, there is uh, Mona Hatun, and there is Doris Salcedo. So they are different artists. One coming from Lebanon, I think one coming from Germany, and one coming from uh, Colombia. And they are older artists, female artists. They make really, really phenomenal and incredible work. And they're also younger artists within our generation uh, from different parts of the world, which who also make these kinds, who also make very phenomenal work. Um, some um, artists make work which are purely digital or performative based or ephemeral base. Some also make paintings and sculptures or installations, different kinds of installations based on certain histories. Yeah, so someone like Doris Salcedo and Mona Hatum, when you go into their work, you'll find a lot of that historical relevance production, like pieces. It was still, of course, also, but her work also involves playing with images and like post-internet ideas and all that. So, um, yeah. It's just, I, I like to mention the females because uh, sometimes you find that the female artists are some of the strongest artists in terms of the production of like works that they make. All right, so um, strong in works that I've made, can you make that simpler for some of us? Strong as in um, the, the work that... Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, so I was saying um, strong as in the way you understand that clearly, if you could um, break that down. No, strong as in the character that the work takes is very, very good. The form, when I say form, it could be flat or round or small or big. Yes, the form, yeah, that's what also matters the most, yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so um, in another interview, you mentioned that you don't believe in prizes. So I wanted to know, um, what's the philosophy behind that? Why don't you believe in prizes? Oh, yeah, sometimes they, when an artist wins a prize, he somehow tends to believe that maybe he's better than others. That's why he has that prize. But I guess um yeah a prize is only supposed to enable you to be able to do much better work so i think that artists don't have to concentrate on those prizes so i just concentrate on their work if the prize comes along fine so for me i don't apply for these kinds of things if they do come and then it's kind of enable us to be able to push our works 
in a good direction. Why not? So that is what that is where my interest mostly is. All right. And um, do you apply for um, installations? No, 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 no. You just make your work as an artist. And uh, if a museum comes along and wants to show it or wants to commission you to do a work that ends up in their space, fine. But you don't. Yeah, I will only say I apply for installations probably in Ghana when I apply to less spaces like the railways and other places in order to install my work. But if not, I don't. Yeah. So you started the Savannah um, Center for Contemporary Arts in the Red Clay Studios. I don't know whether it's one. Is it one? Yes. It's one institution. Uh, Red Clay is more or less my studio space, but which is also like an institutional space. Then um, Savannah Center is purely like our exhibition space. But most exhibitions, all the exhibitions that we do in at the Savannah Center, a part of that exhibition is going to be at uh, Red Clay. And also there is a third space, uh, the Nkrumah, Nkrumah Volley. Is uh, the Kwame Nkrumah, one of the silos that Kwame Nkrumah built back in the 60s. So a space that I bought from the state and now I'm using as a test space as part of my institution. Okay, so how is the Savannah Center um, for Contemporary Arts being run? What are the programs that um, take place there? Our artists works around what happens there? Uh, well, so basically it's a non-profit institution, so it means that admission is free. Everything that we do is free for the public. Um, we have an artistic director, my colleague uh, Salon Kuji. We have um, a manager, Isnam Damale. We have uh, um, other workers, uh, Sakite, Usia, Mashut, like librarians. Uh, some people archiving things, and we also have cleaners and security men that we work with. Uh, so basically, that's the that's the uh, that's that's the operation of the institution. Um, at Red Clay, we have uh, other people also who manage the space. Um, we concentrate mainly on retrospectives. So it means that uh, the last two exhibitions we've done have been on older. Yeah. So we, we concentrate on retrospectives. So the last two exhibitions that we did were on artists who were above uh, the age of 60 and they've worked for a long time, but their works have not really been seen by the public. So we try as much as possible to be able to do that, to be able to bring their works in, a, in an institutional context that allows people to be able to see it in ways that ordinarily they wouldn't have been able to. Um, yeah, so um, we, it's not a space that anyone can just apply to come and do an exhibition. We have to invite the person and we have to go through a process of finding, let's say, money and mostly just through my work, me working to find money in order to be able to support those projects to happen. Yeah, so basically that's how the institution operates. And we are hoping that we can be able to expand it in the future. And we also do workshops. So, for instance, when we do the when we the exhibition opens, 
there's a publication that we are hoping to do of every exhibition. The last two ones we've done, but we've not been able to print them. And based on that, we invite school kids to come there to the institution and then we do a series of workshops with them. Uh, recently, because of the coronavirus, we've had to go to schools rather than they coming to us. But now we're also doing other workshops that the kids can come to the institution and also participate in. All right, so what's your motivation in this life? What motivates you? Well, I just want to be able to do things that affect the lives of people positively. Um, so even when I'm doing my work, I want to be able to do work that is compelling, that other people can enjoy, and also it can enrich their way of looking at the world. Um, after all, I grew up in a family of uh, generosity, so I don't see any reason why I should make work that is not generous. So at least that motivates me quite enough, the generosity in the world. And what do you do to improve your work life, your work as an artist? What are some of the things you do? Oh, research. Yeah, maybe reading certain materials, uh, articles, books, uh, maybe looking at certain philosophers, uh, looking at reading certain histories. And yeah, just trying to understand where those histories, the, the, what those histories are about and how we can use them to be able to reshape different futures. Yeah. Yes. And what are you reading now? Well, the series of books I collected from the, from the old parliament and I've been reading them because there are debates within them, which I think is very interesting for like making some kinds of new works. So I've been using those materials quite a lot. Yeah. All right. And what do you often do in your leisure times? Do I have a leisure time? I'm mostly working. I'm mostly, yeah, honestly, I'm mostly just working. So I try as much as possible. Maybe when I travel, Sometimes in between travels, that's when I take time just to rest and sleep and then just meet friends and then just chill. But generally, no, generally I just um, yeah, mostly I, 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 I spend most of my time working and thinking about ideas, how to improve the ideas I have or how to develop new, newer and better spaces, I guess. Yeah, so, um in Ghana, to be specific, um, people see um, visual artists as like they, they are misrepresented as dummies. Maybe they couldn't do a better program in school, a better course in school, or they couldn't get that course. What do you have for people with such mentality? <laughs> well, I guess it's, it's like that everywhere. Even in foreign countries, sometimes people think artists are the least sensible people around. But I guess artists really also just have to be more convinced and to, to, to assure themselves more of what they want to do in the future. Um, I think you should have a strong conviction of whatever you do, um, whether good or bad. Sometimes I say when someone is bad, they should just should be bad. They should be good at being bad, you know? If you're good, just be good at being very good, you know? Yeah, it's 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 not very simple, but I guess um, people just need to have better convictions 
Um, and those people also who think that uh, maybe doing visual arts, uh, people don't really have any other thing to do. They should also remember that a lot of the products they buy, packages and all that, they are all being designed by artists. So artists are not used are not useless in society. They actually contribute towards the packaging of society. Uh, if not, everything would have been chaotic. Yeah. How are you going to market any product without an artist coming in to be able to help you visualize it and all that? So that is, of course, different from the kind of work that we do. But I think that art art is very broad, and there are many places. There is there is a lot of place in it for many different kinds of artists. So artists just have to take whatever they do seriously and then prove, really prove to the world around them that they have a role to play. Um, share with us a principle you run with, you walk through with in this life. Oh, just be good. Yeah, just be good. My motto has always been just be a good person. Just always aim at producing or doing things that will affect the lives of people positively and um, just do it with all your heart and only good things can come out from it yeah so yeah all right and this i mean last three questions what's your definition for success and who comes to mind when you think of success what human being do you think see as successful um yeah i guess me success is not about money but it's about also principle it's about knowing what one wants to do and how they want to do it you you don't become successful by trampling other people i think you have to yeah you always have to think about the well-being of others around the the success that you create and uh, also the value systems that you create for the people and the world around you that I, I think it does when someone becomes successful, when they're able to influence people around them to be as good as they are or to be better than them. That is a successful person. So sometimes I think teachers are some of the most successful people, although they don't earn a lot of money. So, um, and also people who work in uh, factories who contribute their labor to changing or like doing really significant things for that, but their profits doesn't come to them. So those, those are very important to look at, yeah. All right, so if you had a billboard, a, a major billboard, maybe on the Tamale Highway, if there's an highway in Tamale, I don't even know. <laughs> um, what would you like to put on it, non-commercial, non just yeah, speaking to people on that billboard, a short statement, what would that be for you? Oh, I guess it's just workshops, exhibitions. Like I would just use that to market whatever work that we're doing at the institution. For people to be able to, for people to be aware of it, so they can, yeah, yeah they can. So this not yeah. commercial. This is your own sta a statement you want to put out to people to it. Non-commercial. Oh, but the not work I anything. do is not commercial. <laughs> yeah, the work that we I do, there's nothing commercial about it. It's all non-profit. Imagine it's just my life that I'm sharing with people. Yeah, so it's there's nothing commercial about it. It's basically my life. It's just because of the way I do it. You can't read it in that manner, but it's just, it's just very simple. It's my life's work that I'm sharing with the public in a, in a very, on a very big scale. That's all. Wow. I think you've given a, another view to this question. I'll reframe it maybe in the consecutive interviews with others. And yes. what's one question um, you would have asked yourself 
if you were interviewing yourself? Oh, I guess you've asked a lot of uh, a lot of questions. Um, so I can't really think about one right now. But I guess maybe the next time we have a conversation, maybe something uh, something else will come up. Yeah. And finally, where can people follow you and reach you if they want to get in touch with you, see your works and all that? Oh, well, um, they should follow the Savannah Center, SCCA Tamale, on uh, our Instagram and Facebook page. And then uh, mine is Ibrahim Mahama 3 on uh, Instagram, but just Ibrahim Mahama on Facebook. But they should be careful. There are many Ibrahim Mahamas out there, including their former Zen's brother. So, uh, Sometimes people write me and they're like, oh, say, I want you to employ me in your factory. I'm like, that's not me. So they, yeah, they should, they should be able to tell the difference. They should just go to the profile and see like works or articles or things that are there. But I guess, yeah, we need more and more people to support the kind of work that we're doing. So yeah, so that's it. Thanks and sharing your life with us. I appreciate it. And I know our listeners also appreciate it. Any parting words, there you go. Oh, well, as I said before, we should just keep being good. And uh, we should uh, always remember that the world doesn't begin and end with us. We live in a community of many people. So we should try our best to, yeah, we should try to do our best for the people around us at any given point in time. You are never really young to make a difference in the world. I think actually when you're young, that's when you should aim to make a difference in the world because you're so young and you have nothing to lose. But your youth, for your youth, like in terms of time and all that, and older people cannot change the world as much as younger people can. Because when you're young, there's so much at stake. You have an entire future ahead of you. So you want to actually be able to create a better future for it. And we should aim to create futures that are not just for ourselves, but futures that can affect the lives of other people. So I think that responsibility should be the order of the day. People should learn to take more responsibility for the, the for things around them in their society. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. We promise to bring you new episodes weekly. Subscribe on the various platform you listen to this podcast on. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at The Young and Old and on YouTube at The Young and Old Podcasts.